for the final time this summer, this 2022-23 season, we speak to the peaceful warrior, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, host of 32 Thoughts of Podcast. We already miss you, Jeff. Oh, my goodness. That was um, that, that whole peaceful warrior thing. Oh it was my a goodness. fun day, that wasn't was it? The, uh, that's that, that's going to be my main takeaway from my season with you guys. Okay, good. That we, we gave that you a new name. Episode. Thanks for that. We, we, were, we were just talking about what uh, summer looks like for Jeff Merrick. Yeah. And we didn't really come up with anything. What does summer oh look my like goodness. for Jeff Merrick? Oh, it's so, so exciting. I'm going to go from <laughs> baseball diamond to hockey rank. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh, that sounds lovely. I got two kids, two boys that play competitive mm-hmm. sports. Uh, my daughter swims, loves it. So it's going to be, a, listen, at, at this point, you just surrender yourself to your kids. So they have full-time baseball. They still want to play hockey. We're going to go. I think the only trip we have planned right now coincides with a couple of baseball tournaments uh, in Niagara. So the kids are and it's within a week of each other. Mm. So we're going to spend the week in between in New York City and da, 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 going to take them to the Subway Series game. Wow. Oh, okay, Yankees, that's Mets, really fun. That'll be really yeah. great. Too bad the Yankees, uh, they might be without some of their stars for a little while. I don't know when this series is, yes. but no. Oh, well, the Mets are fun. That'll be really, really great. Well, you'll get a lot of miles on the car. You get to listen to the fan while you're driving everywhere, I assume. You never turn it off. You can listen never. to us every day. It's locked. Locked between my ears. No breaks in terms of supporting us, um, but we do appreciate a full season of you coming on every Tuesday, oh, uh, and we, we love it. So let's make this last one a banger, Jeff. Okay, let's go for a good one here. Let's Sheldon Keefe, Maple Leafs, yeah. locked and loaded for another year, maybe two, three. Uh, yeah, not sure about term on on this one, but you know, if you can um, sort of read the tea leaves on it and try to, and, and no one's said anything officially yet, but it does very much sound like Sheldon Keefe is is coming back, and the only question now is, you know, who's going to be on the bench with him? Um, don't know anything by what a contract will look like, a contract extension for Sheldon Keefe. But um, I, I don't think the Maple Leafs have much appetite to send Sheldon Keefe into a lame duck season. Uh, I just don't think that they want the conversations and the distractions and the annoying questions over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so I would I would imagine uh, that that will that will get taken care of, and then we'll turn our attention. Actually, we'll probably turn our attention to the assistant coaches probably mm-hmm. before there's a there's a contract extension mm-hmm. signed, and you know that's one that's going to be. Um, that's going to be a uh, that's going to be an interesting one too because there's a lot of intriguing names uh, that are out there. Um, Carl Taylor is someone who holds a lot of intrigue for me personally. Um, he's a head coach with the excuse me the Milwaukee Admirals um, of the American Hockey League. Um, he's one of the names uh, that we've uh, very much heard out there. Um, Todd Nelson is someone that uh, I, I'm pretty sure the Maple Leafs have some in- strong interest in at least talking to. Todd is the head coach of the Hershey Bears of the uh, of the American Hockey League. They're heading to a Game 7 yeah. against Coachella Valley. So that's uh, some pretty exciting hockey going on there. Um, and I think we all wonder about Mitch Love, who's the uh, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers of the American Hockey League. Um, two seasons uh, of so successful development and winning, AHL Coach of the Year a couple of times, etc. And here, here's another name that I'll throw at you guys. Mark Savard. 
Mark Savard, head coach of the Windsor Spitfires of the OHL, has you know last year coached um, to to some success. The year previous, the team was on fire with uh, with Wyatt Johnston. Um, last year was Shane Wright coming in at the trade deadline. He's someone that I think we all figure is going to end up on an NHL bench in some capacity eventually. So I I wonder if there's some some interest there between the Maple Leafs and and uh, Mark Savard, so, our former colleague, by the way. Yeah, former oh former colleague of uh, yours for sure. Uh, yeah, but listen, I'm a little surprised that like the in terms of like rocking the boat. Uh, I don't know if it's been a month so far, but for living. Um, has like the the coaching search, the assistant coaching search, maybe being the biggest point of intrigue for the Leafs uh, through this point um, of his tenure. Are you a little surprised that he didn't come with a flamethrower at all? Like it, it just no. it just feels like you know he's really happy with the things that are here, and that it, at least to me it's like okay, you want to take your time, which is all right, but. The fan base, I mean, that's the exact opposite of what they are craving is someone coming in here and just being, you know, let's let's cautiously work through this and let's build again. Like, it just feels like these two things are a little disjointed to me. I've always been a, a big believer in the motto that if you if you listen to your fans too much, you eventually end up sitting with them. Um, I think that, you know, Brad Tree Living or anyone else who would have gone into that position would have their their own plan and and things that they want to do and I, I think that Brad Tree Living is a very measured um, yet when he makes his decisions very deliberate manager like I know that everybody wanted like a Mike Keenan type to come in here and just like find the power base in the room and blow it up and I'm in charge and you're gonna listen to me and this is the way it's gonna be and it's, uh, that, that's not Brad Tree Living style. And really, that's that's no one's style anymore in the, in the NHL. Those were the, uh, uh, I guess you know the uh, the carefree halcyon fun days of the '80s, where GMs came in to throw their weight around. Damn it's it. Vegas's style a little bit, Jeff. It is Vegas's style a little a little bit, but I mean these 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 two teams were in and are in completely different spots. Um, uh, I, I think that, um, like, listen, he still may make a power move in the off season. Like it's it's only been a few weeks that he's been on the job here. Um, I I don't I wouldn't put it past Brad Tree Living. I don't think any of us should, considering how he's involved in all, most, if not all, conversations going on in the NHL. I just uh, I, I never thought that Tree Living was going to come in and there's going to be a signature move right away. You know, there was going to be the uh, the Kachuk trade right away or anything like that for for Tree Living. I think that he could still make it. I'm just not surprised that he hasn't yet. He's a really thoughtful, measured mature general manager and for some fans that might be boring um but that's okay the fans are allowed to be frustrated heaven knows leafs fans can be comfortable with the feeling of frustration um but i'm i'm not surprised that tree living has come in and so far there hasn't been a bold signature move yeah i mean i don't think it's about boredom though like uh, yeah i think i'm bored of losing might be part of it but again like it just feels like okay they've hit a wall here uh they've had the same thing here cooking for a while and it doesn't get them anywhere and this not that the new person was supposed to come in and spur change and be the change and blow it up and all that stuff. But if they just run back a very similar roster with a different general manager, I wonder what they, you know, actually are trying to accomplish with the clock ticking on a guy like Austin Matthews, the clock ticking on John Tavares, and and really entering a really important season without really anything changing is an interesting spot to be in, but it makes all the sense in the world for a guy like Bradshaw Living who wants to build his team and teams are not built uh, at a snap I- of the fingers. 
I do think that the Matthews thing is job number one, though, don't you? I Another, think it's really the only on, thing on that the matters, hunt, which, but that's, which is that, frustrating. That, that's, that's the first one. I, I, I get it. Yeah. I, again, if he signs Austin Matthews, uh, you've already endeared yourself, right? But I just wonder where it leaves you for the next two, three years. Uh, I don't listen. I, I know that um, going into this summer, like you have to think about, okay, what are the priorities for the Maple Leafs here? And priority number one was Austin Matthews. Now, it's not as if you know the management can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Like you're a, you're able to spin a couple of different plates here, and you better if you're a general manager in the NHL. So you could be looking at the marketplace and figuring out uh, who's going to work where and what you need to do to take that next step. I mean, I think we all look at this team and say it's probably going to be more similar than it is different um, come next season. Will there be changes? Yeah, we already know that, you know, the the Kerfoots won't be back and uh, Justin Hall won't be back, etc. They're, you know, trying, I would believe, desperately to try to get Luke Shen uh, under contract here and, and bring him back. But I, I still think that you have, I know fans are going to hate hearing it, you still have an elite level team. And I, I don't know that there's one magical Matthew Kachuk trade out there. I know every team's fan base wants their Matthew Kachuk trade because look what happened and look what it did for the uh, for the Florida Panthers. But those quick fix, you know, supercharged trades that put you over the top and give you, you know, the playoff warrior and all that, man, you, you can't force those things. Like a lot of things had to fall into place for the Florida Panthers for that trade to happen. Ironically, Brad Tree Living was on the other end of that trade. Um, but I, I, I don't know that there's one magical fix out there for the Maple Leafs. I think the first order of business, you focus mainly on the Austin Matthews situation. I think in a lower key, you figure out what your decision is on William Nylander as well. And then you go from there and you see where the summer takes you. Yeah, it's all fair. I, I just think if you're a fan of this Leafs team and you really desperately want them to win and all of a sudden priority one is just keeping a superstar around rather than like, you know, putting together the best possible team. I think it is a little frustrating. I think fans have, have reason to be a little bit, you know, annoyed by I, the path that has been taken. Not that, you know, it's th- there's nothing you can do about the past. You didn't win these seasons, so you have to worry about priority one now, which is Austin Matthews. It just, it's mm-hmm. a kind of a sucky position to be in when the expectation was more than that over the course of the five years that Matthews had to, you know, ha- uh, under $11 it's, million. It's, it's, it's so interesting, though, too, the way that, you know, once upon a time, which was about, oh, I don't know, five minutes ago, the hue and cry around the uh, around the Leaf fan base is they just need to win around. They just need to do something, show some promise, show some development, do something, get over one hurdle, and they did. And now it's not enough. It's never <laughs> I get enough. It. Yeah. I I win under- the cup. I under. I under- <laughs> Listen, I understand fan bases. I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. I just don't. I just think that Leafs fans should be. And I know it. It's hard to preach patience to a fan base like the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I think the Leafs are going to take a very measured approach to this, you know. And I know that may be frustrating for Maple Leafs fans, but that is just going to be the reality. And I, I think that by p- focusing most of your attention on Austin Matthews, it's not just, okay, all they've done is re-sign Austin Matthews. It's they didn't lose Austin Matthews. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's two ways to look at it. I like the positive spin. Um, let's talk about the NHL draft, which is a week and a day away. Um I know that I think we're pretty confident with one and two, uh, but where does the draft start for you? Is it the Blue Jackets at three, the Sharks at four? Where does the intrigue really uh, peak for you? It's a great question. I I think Sharks at four, although... See, here's the weird thing about right now. Elliot always makes this point, and it's the right one. This is the time of the year where everybody lies. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is the time of the year where everyone's, you know, this is, you know, smoke and mirrors. This is lies. This is distract. This is, you know, uh, d- disguise your cards. Um, like, I'll give you one. So I had a conversation with someone last night who said, well, don't be surprised if Pat Verbeek, who's, you know, very much a disciple of, of Steve Eiserman, takes a huge swing at number two. Because I think we're looking at number two and saying Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson. Now, is Leo Carlson, would that be considered a huge swing? Eh, not really, because legitimately I can see Leo Carlson going number two to the Anaheim Ducks. I'm talking like, do we hear the first gasp of the night in Nashville at number two if Pat Verbeek goes up there and says Matt Mitchkoff? That would, I think that would be a big gasp. Which yeah. would be a stunner. That's like kind of Steve Eisman going up there and saying Moritz Cider in Vancouver, wow. right? Where we all mm-hmm. went, whoa. Um, but mm. again, like it, it's so hard to get, <laughs> it's going to sound bad. It's really hard at this time of year to get anyone to be honest with you. Uh, I do think this, the, uh, the draft starts at four with um with the San Jose Sharks I think Columbus like Yarmo Kekalainen was on the show with me yesterday and and essentially said like look our decision is going to be made by Anaheim like I think everyone expects Anaheim to either take Fantilli or Carlson and then uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets take essentially who Pat Verbeek with Anaheim didn't take and then we're off to the races and then take your pick like do you like Ryan Leonard um I, I wonder about him because of the Matthew Kachuk effect around the NHL, and everybody wants their version of Matthew Kachuk. And if you're trying to find one of the draft, that guy is Ryan Leonard. Uh, or do they look at what Will Smith? Uh, do they look at one of the defensemen at that spot, knowing that San Jose wants to repopulate this um, this prospect pool with defensemen and goaltenders because that's where the uh, their system has really fallen down. So yeah, the, the whole thing for me starts at uh, at four, and I think really if, if Mitchkoff is still available at five, oh boy, that's going to be major decision time here for Kent Hughes. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, you, you put Yarmo in the situation where it's like, yeah, you know, the, the Anaheim will make the decision for you. But Yarmo's the, one of the guys who always has I a know. trick up his sleeve, which is <laughs> which is fascinating, right? Like, remember, remember he took Igor Chinnikov, yeah. and we all went, who? <laughs> and his it, first round. And of course, the Pierre Luc Dubois that that <laughs> threw everyone yeah. for a loop. Like, it just seems like he's in a spot where he could really uh, change he the does. way the draft is supposed to be. But maybe he's uh, maybe he's. Uh, you know, telling the truth with, you know, we'll take the next best in terms of the top three. Uh, I think one of the most interesting teams, and we were talking about this yesterday with Frank Saravelli, is the Winnipeg Jets this offseason. But I, sure. I always wonder about, like, how much can they really do? Because, yeah, they can get rid of Connor Hellbuck. They can cash that chip in if they want. They can look to move Blake Wheeler. I, I don't know if they're going to be successful in doing that. And Mark Shifley, too. Like, I, I just look at their assets and think, well, they're kind of distressed, and the ones that they want to keep are the ones that you'd really want, and the the Connors and the Ealers, et cetera. Uh, do you uh-huh. think they can actually, you know, find some quote unquote hockey deals with the likes of Shifley, Wheeler? I guess Hellebuck, yes, but Shifley is the one that really stands out to me. Kevin Chevaldeoff has the most difficult job of any general manager in the NHL. It's really, just to be blunt, it's it's really hard to get players to go to and commit to living and playing in Winnipeg for a long time. And that's why when they identify talent, they lock them up long term. Um, and we've seen this with 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 everybody. You know, we, we've seen this, you know, with the previous um, uh, the previous version of the Winnipeg Jets. And we're seeing it with this version of the Winnipeg Jets right now. Now, Shevoldayov is not afraid to pull the trigger on big deals. And this one would be out of necessity. Uh, I don't think that this is an organization that can afford to have players like Shafley 
or Connor Hellebuck walk away or Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, walk himself to free agency and say bye-bye and leave Kevin Day off with nothing. Uh, I, I think a lot of this is going to depend on who's back for which team. And I, I think the one that we're all looking at here are the, are the Boston Bruins. Like, uh, I think I, I think that um, so much of what the marketplace is going to revolve around is the decision of Patrice Bergeron. And if he's not back next season, and I don't think that many of us expect Patrice Bergeron back next season, and we'll have the conversation with David Krejci as well, all of a sudden there's two center spots that open up. And that would be the that would be where you know someone like Mark Shifley would would slide in. So like, there there will be a marketplace for Mark Shifley. I mean, how isn't there a marketplace? Listen, we just mentioned the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, would that make sense for Mark Shifley and the Winnipeg Jets? Uh, it's not as if Winnipeg and Columbus haven't done deals before. See the Patrick Line, Pierre Luc mm-hmm. Dubois trade. So I think there'll be a, a marketplace for them. Can they get all the business done that they want? Probably not, because I don't know that Winnipeg is going to be able to get the return that they want. And make no mistake about it, Winnipeg, as much as you know, they're going to go through a rebuilding phase here. They don't want to fill this team with green bananas. Like they want players, right? They want they want they want guys that can play right now. Um, so they want young players, ideally with term, uh, in exchange for the Hellebucks and the Shifleys um, and the Pierre Luc Dubois. So again, and, and again, that sometimes there's no trade clauses involved here and no move clauses, etc. Shovel Dayoff has got a tough challenge ahead of him here. Like there may be, there may be no general manager who sleeps less this off season than Kevin Shovel Dayoff. We've always maintained he's got the toughest job to begin with, and now you throw this wrench. Uh, into the uh, uh, into the wheels. This is this is a tough one for Kevin Chevaldeoff, but make no mistake about it. Um, he knows the assignments, and I think the Winnipeg Jets may be the most interesting trade team to watch uh, because who doesn't want someone like Connor Hallebuck, and who's not looking for a number one center or a number two center to help put you over the top? Uh, I think Winnipeg is going to be fascinating for sure. Well, I hope you get more sleep than Kevin Chevaldeoff this uh, summer. Jeff, we appreciate you jumping on with us every week. Uh, you'll be in no Nashville, fun. I assume? Yep. Yeah, I'm going leaving on Monday. I will see you there, Jeff. Hey, nice. Yep. Then you, you're, not, you... you're not done with us yet. I'll be there. So. That's fine. We'll have our own uh, interview on Tuesday morning. I'll find you and we can chat. Are, we'll you, are, you doing, are you guys doing the show from there? No, I'm going separately with Sportsnet. Justin didn't get the call up. I'm going down for yeah, you had a couple to mention days. That, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> right, I didn't know. I'm just throwing it okay. I'm doing through. some separate <laughs> things there, but uh, it'll be great. Yeah, J- uh, Justin will be here on the show still. So um, we'll meet, though, Jeff and I. I'll right. be there. Yeah, you Sounds two will have fun. Find me. Yeah, well, I've never been to Nashville, so it'll be a blast. We promise not to take pictures of all the fun we're having, Justin, and send them to you. Yeah, we, we promise won't, we won't do that. We won't. We won't do that, Justin. I'll sorry. just get the stories. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Okay, Jeff. Well, I'll see you next week. But we appreciate a whole whole year of joining us on the show, and we look forward to it next season. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the fun things about coming on was every now and then we got to talk about women's hockey and our mutual adoration of Erin Ambrose. We so golfed last week, by the way. And she did. How, how did we leave our, that story? Yeah, out. she she smashed that. Yeah, she killed us. Yeah, so she's good. man. Yeah, of course. She's good. She's listening. So she gets her flowers. And yeah, she's a better golfer and a better hockey player than we will ever be. And a great friend, too. So we appreciate that. All right, Jeff. Pretty good person, too. Yeah, she's the best. We'll see you next yeah. week. Thanks so much. All right. See you. Let's see you, Justin. Jeff Merrick. The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. And yes, 
Cats out of the bag. I'm going to Nashville <laughs> next week with Sportsnet to cover, to cover some of the NHL draft and the NHL awards, which is exciting we for me. we got to explain what you're doing. Yeah, Come on, yeah, explain yeah, it a little bit more. To. You're, you know, you're tiptoeing around it. I just wanted to make sure it was public news, and it is. I'm going to head down next week, going to help with some of the coverage of the awards, which is Monday, and then also on Wednesday, which is the draft, I'll be hosting um, – our live stream with Colby Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So that will be really fun. And uh, we'll give you more information on how to watch. And how do you have to deal with Colby? It's going to be Nashville. a blast. Colby in Nashville, five days in Nashville with the sports. He squad. might get lost and you'll have to emergency send me down there. <laughs> emergency airfare for me. No problem. We'll have you on standby, Justin, but yes, I'm really excited. Um, Gunner will be filling in while I'm away. So for a couple of days, for the whole week, actually, next week, mm-hmm. I'll be in Nashville. And I already agreed to do a phone interview on the Fan already Morning agreed. Show. It's your it's your responsibility. This uh, but is you know show. what? It's a different time zone. And I it's might... It's one hour. It's a different time zone. And I'll be doing things. But and you'll I, be partying with Merrick. And I'll never say no to my... You better not. My you should loyal, be on every day. My loyalty is to the Fan Morning Show. So... You'll get to, we'll pick a day, maybe not the morning after the draft. Should be a daily 8.30 hit. I think that's compromise. Daily 8.30 hit? Mm, I don't think we want to hear from me four 8.30s in a row. No, I think we probably do. I'll give you one, maybe two, okay? But it'll be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. So if you've ever been to Nashville, please send me recommendations because I'll have, I think, a day or two of gallivanting, and I'd like to to make sure I do it right professionally. (laughs) With Sportsnet. And personally. And personally. So send any recommendations to me. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much. Okay. It's time for some to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Hmm. Interesting. I have some options here. But you know what? I'm going to go... I'm going to go off the board here. Something I wanted wanted to do in the A-list. We've been talking a lot about Messi, who's headed to Miami. Okay. But uh, he also has... Now connections with Saudi Arabia. Right. Right. So um, he will not be playing soccer there, but he has now been signed as a influencer for the Saudi Arabia Tourism Authority. Wow. A $25 million influencer package. That's like couch it's, change for Saudi Arabia right now. It is. So like he couldn't, they couldn't pay him $600 million. But I mean, if you're not going to play soccer in their country, maybe... You take the lower package. So it's just a very strange, it's from the New York Times, um, released this report that Messi will earn $25 million in three years. It's not even a one-year thing. Mm. For traveling to Saudi Arabia, doing some commercials, and posting about his trip. So he's fully an influencer for Saudi Arabia now. I got to be honest. That feels like a great deal for Saudi Arabia. It does. $25 million, and he's doing commercials, appearances. Yes. And what was the last one? uh, But there are some caveats here. Okay. So he gets $2 million per social media post. (laughs) It's outrageous. $2 million per promotional visit. So $25 million up for grabs. But the main stipulation on the contract is he cannot say anything that tarnishes <laughs> Saudi Arabia. He cannot tarnish, tarnish okay. their image. It is written in there. He cannot say anything negative. He cannot, well, you'd, you'd expect. Well, you know, yeah, but it's, there's... If you're going to take money from someone I that agree, you don't speak I agree, but there's some widespread criticism, of course, about what Saudi Arabia is up to. But he's got to go glam... It up in Saudi Arabia, make it look like this hot tourist destination. And yeah. we all know that he's getting he paid took, millions and millions of dollars to do this. 
is it convincing anyone? Are people going to see through the smoke screen? But maybe Messi's got billions of followers. Listen, the Saudis offered him like the basic patch- package, the premium package. He went for the basic package, which is basically just to accept money and not speak ill of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So good on Lionel Messi. Yeah, he's going to make Gets even to more live money. Live in North America, play for Inter Miami, and still and go make to Saudi some Arabia Saudi and make twenty five million dollars. Again, I don't think that's like like I. If you asked me how much it would cost for him to do what you laid out, mm-hmm. I would have said more than twenty five million. Well, the influencer culture is outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. Well, you saw what happened in Inter Miami. They're like one of the most followed clubs in the world mm-hmm. now, just because Messi showed up. No, they are the most followed in, in one the day. World? In 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 soccer, in MLS. Yeah, yeah. No, I think in soccer too. Really? Oh, well, we'll take a look. But like, when Barcelona be more just because he played there? Anyway. Either way, he's doing it, it's well. It's a massive, massive impact. It means a lot. It's worth twenty five million dollars, one hundred percent. So he's going to be, yeah. Barcelona has one hundred twenty two million. What does Inter Miami have? Not that much. Okay. I guess the whole fact that he Makes played sense. there before and it is Barcelona. Yeah. But I remember seeing Inter Miami went for oh they they had less than I think they had a million. Now they're at eight point three. So they're that's a pretty big growth. But they'll never they'll never get to one twenty two unless he plays there forever. No, it was uh, it was a Increase percentage yes, rather the than increase total. percentage. Um, well, so just stay tuned for Saudi sponsored posts. <laughs> uh, okay, Caleb Joseph joins us after the break. We're going to chat about those Toronto Blue Jays. He also is coming off a birthday, not the same as our Josh's birthday, but they say say what is what are you guys? We're not cancers yet, are we? What, I have no idea. What uh, I think it might be actually. Is it already cancer season? What horoscope are we in? It must be cancer. Bail us out here, Josh. He doesn't know. Well, we'll have that information after the break. Oh, he says he's a Gemini, he thinks. Mm? Okay. Uh, June 20th. I think you're right on the cusp. Yeah, you are. Oh, today is the end of Gemini season. Just barely feel- made wow, it. Wow, you are like the bookend of, I don't know what that means. Anyone a horoscope-ologist person? Because I'm a cancer, so I start tomorrow, I guess. I don't know. You and Caleb are both Geminis is what the point of this was. Okay, you both had great. birthdays in the last two days. It's just a celebratory 30 minutes with Caleb Joseph. We'll try to make it that way with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's next. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a fan morning show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's Josh's birthday, so he's playing all his favorite songs. Is that right? Yeah. He's killing it. Whatever you want, Josh. Got to be honest, don't know them. It, yeah. Wait. You no, know I this don't. one. No, I don't. This is Linkin Park, for okay. sure. I can tell by their voice. <laughs> I can tell by the sound it's making. <laughs> <laughs> it's the week of birthdays. Because Caleb Joseph, who joins us now, we have to wish you a happy belated birthday. How's it going, Caleb? Oh, wow. Thank you. Very, very, very much. Uh, it was a great birthday here in Toronto. If only the Jays would have mm. been able to plot a W, it would have been complete. Yeah, they kind of uh, fell off the rails since your birthday. Things have gone south. It's Josh's birthday today, and we just need to turn it around, okay? Because Gemini, we just figured out you guys are Geminis. I don't know if there's something weird about that, but we're moving on from that today. <laughs> it's time to get positive, um, but we got to start with whatever happened last night. Eleven nothing loss. Um, I know you're on the you're on trying to break it down last night as well, and you're a positive guy. Like you got some you got some positive thoughts and some positive takes. So. 
if we're looking for something this morning, because, you know, people are waking up and they need a little sunshine on this day, where are you finding a glimmer of hope with this team? Uh, the 2022 Philadelphia Phillies. I'm going to draw the comparison. They came into the season very, very highly touted team that was built to win, built to win. At that moment, they totally underachieved at the very beginning of the season. A lot of people don't realize how not bad they were, but just how underachieved that team uh, was at the very beginning. And they figured it out. It took them a couple months. They finally got all the pieces of their puzzle together. They figured it out, and they went on a on a run late in the season. And I really think that that has the potential here in Toronto as well. I, I firmly believe that this team is, is going to make the playoffs. All of their pieces, when you look at them, pitching, defense, hitting, base running, you look at all those individually, they, they are good. When you don't have two of those pieces of the puzzle show up any given night, it's really tough to win in the big leagues. And in my opinion, they have struggled to put all of the pieces on the table for an entire game this season. Once they do, once they start to click, once they get a complete game over and over and over, they win. And if they can do that, they'll go on a run, and I really believe that they will, uh, they'll, they'll end up making the playoffs and make a deep run. Okay, so how does it start? I don't remember how it started with the Phillies, if they just got a hot streak, if they played maybe some teams that allowed for them to get some wins, if, it, if starting pitching just dialed it in, if the Blue Jays are going to kind of... A superstar a su- was a superstar in Bryce Harper. And that could happen too. So is that what they need? Is it start with Vladdy? Is it start with the rotation? Is it start with maybe bringing the joy back to this franchise and this team? Um, if they're going to do this Phillies-esque run, how do they begin? Yeah, that's a great question. If I think if we all knew the answer, we would be hammering it out right away. Hey, all they need to do is just is just uh, get Vladdy to hit three homers and three consecutive abs. I think there would be a lot of voodoo, <laughs> be good. Uh, voodoo going on in the clubhouse. It just it just takes a complete game, and it takes a little bit of confidence. And you can tell right now, in my opinion, you can tell that they're kind of in that mode of, oh man, it's it's early on in the game when things do not go right you can just kind of see it you can feel it you can feel the body language just kind of drop just a tick as if oh we're we're got an uphill battle again today and i think that's what a loss like uh like two 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 nights ago does to you when you you feel like the offense has been struggling a little bit and you get out to a nice 6-0 lead you're thinking this is the game here we go We've had good pitching. We've had good defense. Base run's been good. The offense has been a little bit lackluster. Here we go. This is the run. And then you lose a game like that, those are pretty demoralizing losses. The good thing is, as a player, you don't really think about that much. You just show up the next day and you go to work. And you don't look at the standings. You're not emotional like all of the fans are. And it is so funny being on the other side of this now because I feel myself being – strong on this emotional roller coaster as well whereas as a player you don't even get on it it's pretty unbelievable the difference in in both of those which is why you may see that they they don't seem affected they know there is a ton of baseball left but at the end of the day all of the phases have to play in sync so they can gain a little confidence and then go on a little bit of a run 
being unaffected, though, it only lasts so long. Like, I'm looking at that team. There were some long faces. There was some concern, at least it seemed, uh, in the dugout. Maybe that's just the case when you're getting your the doors blown off and you got Ernie Clement out there pitching. That, that just might be it. But, like, it, you can only not be on that roller coaster for so long, right? Or avoid the depths of the roller coaster for so long. So is it, like, imperative that this happens really soon because things can get out of hand? Or is it just, you know, something has to happen and then momentum has to build off that? But I, I look at this team and I am starting to see an effective team. A Matt Chapman booting the ball around. Vladdy getting more and more aggravated at the plate. Do you not see them getting a little bit more affected by the ongoings than they were maybe a week ago? It's a, it's a good question. I, I think everybody personally has their own spots where it's more personal than it is team-wise. When you're doing well and your team is still struggling, it, it just hits you a little bit differently when your team's not doing well and you're supposed to be part of the guy or guys that that's supposed to really be carrying it, it it yeah it starts to weigh on you a little bit but I'll say it's just it, it's there's so many games left to play that as a player you just you know you can make up ground so quickly in that one two week span of a I don't know 12 and 2 run you'll have the the entire city of Toronto hedging their bet, betting their mortgage that you're going to win the World Series at that point. It's such a volatile game in that you can change minds so quickly. I, I, I really believe that these guys are, are, are talented. I really do. And, and you just can't panic. And I know it's really easy to kind of, like I said, get on that emotional roller coaster. It's, it's so easy. I, I just don't see them folding like everyone else feeling Joe had a great point the sky is falling it 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 really feels like that it feels like that in Toronto I'm telling you this this team is good they they're going to they're going to hit their stride they're going to find their way and when they do it's going to be a lot of fun because they've had a, a very few stretches here this year where they've actually played as a complete team that I can that I can think of I mean this is 60, 70 games where they haven't been able to figure it out. And I, I don't think it's for anything other than just a team figuring out how to get it done. I don't think that there's any certain point where you can go, man, they, they really are not very good. They're just terrible in this spot. And they're not going to make it because of that. I, I think it's just a team that's continuing to evolve. Once they hit their stride, they'll be all right. So I, I had home runs top of mind yesterday, uh, you know, preparing for the show this morning. And then I watched Luisa Rise uh, go out there and just, you know, expertly craft at bats and punch five singles into the outfield. And it's like, well, I guess offense can come in different ways. Uh, and it's important that you have guys that can do a variety of things. It doesn't seem to be hurting him that he only has two home runs this season. However, for the Blue Jays team, it kind of feels like it comes down to that. Like they have a, a huge deficit in terms of home runs allowed versus home runs they've hit already this season and I wonder despite the brilliance of a guy like Arise who doesn't need to hit them to be one of the best hitters in baseball like to win in the major leagues nowadays is it impossible if you're running up a deficit in terms of total home runs like if you are allowing so many more than you hit is it almost impossible to be truly an elite team Uh, I haven't really thought of that correlation to be honest with you I'm more or less look at it just in terms of runs scored and runs created. Uh, I don't really care whether you get them via the homer or four consecutive doubles in a row. If you're scoring more runs than than you're giving up, you got a pretty good chance. 
the homer, and this is the problem with with getting obsessed with the homer is a it's really hard to hit them, and b they 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 can get they can get spare, they can get sparse, and you don't want to you don't want to be dependent on the homer and. The solo homer, nine times out of ten, doesn't beat you. It's that two or three run home run that really starts to to chink the armor in the opposition in that you get down 3-0, 4-0 right away because of a two-run homer, another double, a two-run homer. You're, you feel like you're behind the eight ball pretty quickly. I do have a little bit of concern with how they've been able to uh, pad that four and five hole where, as as, as you, you're alluding to, I think Teoscar Hernandez was and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was that power. I think that's what we're looking for. It's, it's just it's just they've gotten the guys on base and they've gotten them at a higher clip than last year. They have done well creating a lot of traffic. It's the ability to drive that ball not only in a gap but over the fence when there's two guys on to deliver that three-run homer that they're they're really struggling with. And one thing about power is when you start trying to hit them, that's when things start to go south. Usually the the ball a little bit out in front that you catch just a tick out in front, the accident, is the home run. When you start playing with loft, when you try and start lofting the ball and creating backspin and and really powering it out, you become super susceptible to the breaking ball away. That's when you see the rollover. That's when you see the the, the strikeout on the on the breaking balls underneath. And so it's it's a tr- tricky thing. They they need to hit some more homers. Yet if they try to hit some more homers, they're not going to hit more homers. Talking to Caleb Joseph, a uh, former MLB catcher and obviously our current Sportsnet analyst. So are you seeing that a little bit with Vladdy? I know I was listening to your point last night after the broadcast. Um, he's got hard hit balls and everybody talks about the stats about that, but it doesn't mean much when you're not getting the ball in the air. Um, is something about Vladdy's approach at the plate um, at least promising and how he could actually start to produce some runs for this team? Yeah, you look at Vladdy's stat line, and I think they covered it pretty well the last couple of games in Texas with Marcus Simeon. And that Marcus Simeon's absolutely right. You look at his stat line all the way across, there would be 90% of major leaguers would take that at this point in the season and be thrilled with it, absolutely thrilled with it. Yet we understand we're expecting more out of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We, we do. And that's his fault for having such a great campaign early on in his career. He set the bar very, very high. He – he has just got to hit for power. Well, how do you do that? Trying to explain that when you see these balls that are hit 112, 115 miles an hour on the ground to the pull side, aesthetically, it looks good. Aesthetically, it looks like, wow, he was very close to that ball. He hit 115. If he can just get it up, he'll be in good shape. And I think we're going to try and maybe do a little demonstration today on Blue Jays Central about this. What I'm about to say is, when you are a right-handed hitter and you miss to the low pull side, meaning a ground ball to third base, a ground ball to the shortstop, when you miss low and to the pull side, it's not a good swing. That means you're out in around, you're trying to mess with loft, you're probably out in front. As the bat travels more out in front, it starts to move upward. Now you're over the ball, catching it on the top part of it. That's where you get the top spin grounders. And if you look at Vladdy when he was going absolutely nuts a couple of years ago, 
and was hitting homer after homer after homer. He was in super tight with the back elbow. The rotation of his swing was very, very tight. He held the angle of the bat, meaning the barrel was closer to the catcher than it was closer to the fielders. As it was rotating, he wasn't releasing that barrel towards third base. He was holding it and keeping it more directionally going through to center field. And when he does that, it allows the ball to get a little bit deeper and you have more angle in the bat. That angle is what creates loft. It's almost accidental loft. But right now, he is really trying to hit the ball out. He's cheating to get to it. You can tell he's pull-happy. And that barrel is getting out in front of the plate, which is creating either a bullet or some sort of rollover to the left side. When Vladdy's going great, he does that rotation, holding the angle, not releasing the barrel of the bat, and his direction is more towards left center, center, and right center. People forget, this guy has center field to right center field power with the absolute best of them. But when is the last time you've seen Vladimir Greer Jr. absolutely lean on a ball to right center? It's been weeks and weeks and weeks, and that approach is when he's going the absolute best, is when that's forefront in his mind, directionally to right center, then he reacts inside. We just haven't seen that, and I think that's the biggest key of why he can't get the ball in the air. When he's trying to hit it in the air, he hits more on the ground. When he tries to stay directionally towards center field, that's when he'll naturally get it in the air, and that's when you'll see the power. Okay, so you've diagnosed it, and it makes a lot of sense uh, for someone who doesn't really know much about actively hitting a baseball. Like, it, it makes perfect sense to me. So it must make sense to people who are around the Blue Jays and around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But how do you get that message where it's clear what, you know, the issue might be or what is actually happening? How does that message and that information get to the hitter so they can actually make a change? Like, we've seen this for now weeks. Why does that continue to happen when it seems like you can kind of figure out what's wrong here? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Pitchers are paid a lot of money to continue to make you do things as a hitter that you don't want to do. <laughs> That's the best way that I could put it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he, he knows what he needs to do. And pitchers are so good at getting you out of your game plan in terms of throwing a, a two-seamer that runs four inches inside right after they've thrown you three sliders away and get you thinking out there and looking out there and you think, yes, he's going to give it to me again. He's going to hang this one. and I'm going to hit it to right center. I'm going to stay within my approach and everything's going to be great. And before you know it, you see a pitch down the middle. You think it's that slider. It's actually the fastball and it's actually going the opposite way. Hitting is very, very difficult. Hitting is really, really hard. And what happens sometimes is you get into this mode where your body just feels a certain way. You can think about making those adjustments, and you've done, you've done it a certain way for four, six, eight weeks that you're trying to make that adjustment in the game, and some sort of performance pressure starts to take over, and your body just doesn't cooperate with your brain. I don't know how else to explain it other than when you're practicing, you can control those body movements. When you're practicing, you can, during BP, you can rotate the way you want. You can hit the ball to right center. Everything is in a controlled environment. As soon as the game starts, these guys are being paid a lot of money to make you do what you don't want to do. So they're, they're running stuff in off the plate because they know that if they get him sped up, thinking pull, it takes him out of his, out of his approach. 
and then they're throwing the soft stuff away. So it's about discipline. And a lot of times when you don't have a lot of success in terms of hitting for power, it's really hard to stay disciplined, and everybody wants to go to the pull side. When you're looking for power, 99% of the league is going to try and pull and yank the ball and turn and burn. Okay. So these guys figured out that all they have to do is throw it sliders away, slider away, slider away, slider away. And as soon as he kind of takes one, then they throw a sinker in. And uh, it's just this yo-yo effect. Is that the brilliance then of a rise? Because it seemed like no matter where it was spotted, what pitch was thrown, he knew exactly what to do with it. I mean, when you watch that kid, five for five, hitting 400 now on the year after his five hits against the Blue Jays, is this like, is this like a unicorn in baseball right now? Honestly, with the way that he can, you know, it's not, it's not Shohei Otani in that he does literally everything, but it's a guy who cannot be fooled at the plate. Yeah, he's great for baseball. He, he is what baseball needs more of, in my opinion. More table setters, more guys that bring excitement in terms of the way they handle the bat. You could you could just hear the crowd, and there wasn't really that many of them in Miami last night. You could hear the crowd going nuts when he walked up to the plate. It, it, it was a great ovation, and handling the bat is it's so difficult. He, you're right. It looked like he knew what was coming, and when you're in a groove like that, it is it is something it is something and it's a catcher's worst nightmare trying to call pitches against that i will say we toronto has has one that's pretty pretty close to him too if they can handle the bat that's Bo Pichette. and these guys they're 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 so fun to watch because they can hit the ball the other way they've got such elite hand eye coordination and i'll tell you what this is what happens when you don't try and hit a home run every single ab if if Vladdy was, if, if you said Vladdy hit 350 and don't worry about hitting home runs, I believe he could get pretty close to that. And this is this is what power does to people. Power, when you try and hit for power, it exposes certain parts because you've got to get it going early. You've got to do things naturally. You you have to do things unnaturally in terms of really trying to get the bat head in certain positions to create that loft that we were talking about. Arise. He's up there, choked up, bat-to-ball skills, just trying to square it up and see where it goes. And that's where you see a little bit different output there. You see the way he swings. It's different. It looks like he's swinging hard, but he's swinging very very controlled. And he, he if he accidentally hits a homer, he accidentally hits it. But what he does with the bat is, is very special. He's good for baseball. He's great for baseball. It's, uh, it's something that I hope more teams look at, trying to find those high bat-to-ball skills, not put as much emphasis on the homer. Yeah, it, it honestly doesn't seem that complicated. I mean, he was up five times, five hits. He made five innings for the Marlins dangerous single-handedly uh, by putting himself on base and driving in runs. Like, it, it's it's just not an approach. And again, you mentioned it. Bo's very good with the bat, and it's very impressive what Bo Bichette's been able to do. But just a guy who really simplifies things and is undeniably affected rather than, hey, just going up there hacking. It's It was uh, not a breath of fresh air because it was the opposite of that, uh, but it was pretty, uh, you know, you can see the envy if you're a Blue Jays fan watching a guy like that uh, go to work. Uh, Caleb, we appreciate you coming on this morning. We're looking forward to the Vladdy breakdown in full tonight uh, on the broadcast, and uh, hopefully we can do again this again soon. Okay, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher and currently our Sportsnet analyst. Two more games of watching the immaculate offensive production. From the Miami Marlins, hopefully they hit a stopping point with Kikuchi on the mound. 
By the way, uh, a little bit of a juxtaposition last night. Uh, Blue Jays getting absolutely trounced by Miami. Mm-hmm. And one Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was just hanging out in a Diamondbacks dugout. Their team winning 8-1, to one, building sandcastles in the little, uh, you know, the little dirt track that's in front of the dugout mm-hmm. there. They're having fun. Building sandcastles in the sky. Uh, yeah, it, was, it just seems like it's a different vibe, right? Like some teams are having fun. Mm-hmm. Miami Marlins are having fun right now. Must be fun to hit behind Luis Arise. It's fun with the Diamondbacks <laughs> right now. It is not fun. It is the opposite fun. And there's one thing I disagree with Caleb with. Like I see it. I think they're wearing it. They look miserable. And how could you not be yeah. on this stretch for the Toronto Blue Jays? They got a big hill to climb out of uh, two pretty disappointing back-to-back losses, a 6 nothing lead blown, and 11 nothing shutout. First one in 91 games, so uh, can't get much worse. Kikuchi on the mound tonight. Looking forward to seeing what he brings. That's a 6.30 or 6.40 first pitch tonight. Um, let's give away some tickets to make this hour a little better. Billy Talent coming to Bud Stage on July 8th with special guest Cypress Hill Cancer Bats in the OBGMs. And we're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show, listen for our daily code word, and text that in to 59590. Okay, today's code word is nothing to lose. Nothing to lose to 59590 right now for your chance to win. If you don't win with us, just make sure you visit Ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. Nothing Space to space lose. Nothing to lose. Send that in. You got nothing to lose. You might win free tickets. Yeah, nothing to lose by sending in a text. There you go. Pat Garrity joins us after the break. Let's talk about two days from now, the NBA draft. Obviously, we know Wemby's ceiling seems extremely high. When's the last time there was this much hype for a first overall prospect? What are the Raptors up to in terms of their opportunities picking at 13th? Would they make a swing for number three, which is in play, apparently? Pat is a former uh, front, or he is a front office executive, former NBA forward, so he's going to have the inside scoop on all things NBA draft, which is on Thursday. That's next on the Fan Morning Show.